1: With Donovan and Ken, episode number 74 for March 16th, 2012. 74? Didn't we do 74 last week? I think we did, but that wasn't really 74. That was 74 AF.
0: Oh, that was the April Fool's joke. Episode, yes, indeed it was. So that one's not considered canon? Nope, uh, nope, 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 nope. But we will visit the good doctor here someday, because uh, th- as we mentioned last week, the Star Trek Doctor Who crossover is on its way. Exactly, which I'm looking forward to with uh, with the Matt Smith
1: Doctor, or at least the image of him.
0: Yes, visiting the Jean-Luc Picard Enterprise. Excellent. Looking it's going to be good. To but uh, this is also good. This is the Star Trek ongoing issues number 4, 5, and 6 that we'll be covering this week. Not only good, it's excellent. Yeah, I'm liking the uh, the new actors in similar but slightly different situations uh right. from what we saw, you know, Shatner and, and, and company.
1: Yeah. And I especially like if the differences can be explained by the different environment they're in. The different situations that are going on.
0: Right. Some we get some of that in this one. We these, do. These two. We All do, right.
1: but, but some of the some of the things they changed about it well, we'll talk about it, but I'm not 100% sure why they changed it the way they did. But, I, and as I, matter and as matter of fact, some things they changed different from the 2009 movie, which I still don't understand 100% why they changed that bit of it. But we'll we'll, we'll be discussing it, won't we?
0: You mean they changed it in the movie, or they changed it in this comic no. book? No, no, I mean in the comic book they changed it from the movie. Oh, I didn't catch any of that. So you oh really? Hmm, interesting. Huh. Well, I'm looking forward to your comments, then. Yes, yes. All right. Want to go ahead and get started? Let's do it. So
1: um, we got three different issues, of course. And uh, the first one's going to be where we're going to wrap up with Galileo 7, retelling, reimagining. So part two of that, and then we'll go on to doing the two parts of Operation Annihilate.
0: Okay, so uh, look, I got the honors of doing issue number four. Indeed. Uh, And just so that everybody knows, uh, this is a continuation from the episode uh, issue number three, which we covered way back in episode 61. So if you want to know what's going on, go back and listen to 61 before you listen to this episode. All right. So uh, as we mentioned earlier, this is the Galileo seven part two. It came out in December, 2011. The, uh, The writer was Mike Johnson. Layouts by Stephen Molnar. Inks and pencils by Joe Phillips. Colorist was Joe Roach. Letterer, Neil Utaki, And it's based on the original teleplay of the Galileo 7 by Oliver Crawford and Shimon Winslubberg. And then uh, creative consultant, Roberto Orca. And editor is Scott Dunbar. All right, so uh, as with all IDW, we have uh, several covers. So the first cover is a painting by Tim Broadstreet, which is uh, pretty cool. I like his covers. But uh, the middle is a painting of a skeleton with a phaser within the Starfleet logo. And then surrounding the logo, we see pictures of Spock in shadow off to the left. And then Uhura is off to the right, and below is Kirk. Uh, the second cover is a black and white sketch of the the first one the third cover is the enlisted starfleet poster propaganda type looking poster that show two men looking up into the sky with uh, phasers and communicator held at the ready and then the fourth cover is a just a random photo of Chekhov, full body standing there spread leg kind of weird anyways so the story starts off with uh, Ferris uh, informing the captain that he, they can wait no longer and that the Enterprise must abandon the rescue efforts to save the Galileo 7 in order to go back and uh, give the medical supplies to New Paris. Kirk is reluctant, but he eventually agrees. He, t- he orders Sulu to take them at a, out at full impulse. Sulu is a little taken aback, and Uhura and Kirk share a very intense stare at one another. On the planet, the shuttle is being rocked by axes and fists of the large ape men. Spock is contemplating the prime directive. He recounts the tale of how he became stranded, last issue. Uh, He's outlining his decisions that he's made thus far, which has all been by the books and very logical. And he cannot help but feel that he's made some sort of grave mistake. Uh, within the shuttle, McCoy is concerned that the creatures will eventually get through. Scotty gives a colorful explanation about the status of him rigging up the phasers to power up the ship. Scotty re- reminds us that the power supply cannot get the full weight of the shuttle and the crew into orbit. Spock starts to tell them of what or who will be left behind. That is when crewman Boma has had enough and he explodes at Spock in his damned logic. McCoy quiets him and tells them all that this is Spock's decision. He states that from the sound of the creatures that they're going to have to make the decision soon, and that the Enterprise should already be on its way for their rendezvous. The decision needs to be made now. Back on the bridge of the Enterprise, Commander Ferris tells Kirk that he has no pleasure in forcing Kirk's hand in leaving the down shuttle. Kirk cuts him off, saying, Do me a favor. Never talk about my crew. In a pretty cool little scene. Before Ferris can respond, Chekhov reports that there's an, been an emergency in the shuttle bay. One of the shuttles have been hijacked. Kirk turns to order Ohura to tell him where the shuttle's going when he realizes that she is no longer at her post. On the planet, Spock states that they will use uh, some of the energy to electrify the hull to get the ape creatures off. Back on the ship, Ferris is outraged that Kirk has ordered the Enterprise to follow the shuttle. He starts to quote a regulation that would allow him to replace Kirk as the commander. Kirk cuts him off and quotes Regulation Article 7, Section 23, Lines 89 through 92. And this states that the captain can regain his command to ensure the safety of the ship and the crew. He points out that with four of his highest ranked members or crew members uh, no longer on the Enterprise and that their presence is vital to the functioning of the ship. So as in the show, Chief Engineer Scotty, First Officer Spock, and Chief Medical Officer were all on the uh, Galileo 7 for no good reason. Anyways, back in the shuttle, Scotty uses the a little bit of the phaser power to zap the eight men off the, off the hull, And then Yeoman Rand is able to lift the ship off the surface. Boma asks about the weight issue. Spock states that he is willing to risk it. Scotty starts to congratulate himself for his ingenuity. When the starboard engine experiences a power loss, Rand is able to get to control of the shuttle and stabilizes about 10 meters from the surface. Spock orders Boma to help him open the doors so that they can get rid of some weight. Scotty states that dumping Latimer's dead body will not be enough. Spock states that he will also be departing to that. McCoy volunteers himself and then Boma volunteers himself. Spock commends both of them for their offer, but says that he's going to be the one that goes. He gives them a final order to try to catch up with the enterprise and to return back to get Spock once they've already made the rendezvous with the new Paris colony. Just as he is about to leap from the shuttle, another shuttle flies next to them. Uhura and Spock are able to trade meaningful glances. Sometime later, Ferris is still complaining to Kirk about uh, his decisions. Kirk reminds him that they they are going to make the rendezvous without issue. He then pays a visit to the medical bay to check on Spock and Uhura. Ahora and Spock are shown holding hands and looking deep into one another's eyes, making no effort to hide their feelings. Ahora starts to apologize to Kirk. He stops her and says that he has informed Starfleet that she was only acting on his orders. He says that there will be some punishment, however. He orders both of them to confine quarters. That's shared confined quarters, if you get my drift. And that it's a captain's order. The final page shows Spock and Ahura in a loving kiss, standing in front of a full-length window, looking out into the stars. The end.
1: A happy ending.
0: Yeah. So Spock and Ahura are. This is the first time in the comic books they've really addressed that. I think. I don't think they did it in the first three issues. Did I. They?
1: I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, definitely not. Uh, <laughs> this is extreme. They're hitting. <laughs> they're getting some sack time. Yeah, Captain's
0: orders
1: that time. <laughs> yeah, the best guide. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> is that the best guy? Uh, probably not. So, <laughs> what's so, the big thing is, and, and something I, I like about this, and I think this is something you you might have been alluding to earlier, is there is a relationship between Ahura and Spock that was not there in the original show and because there is that relationship that wasn't there before, there's a cause and effect thing going on, uh, the, the thrill-packed ending uh, happened differently. And Uhura coming to the rescue, uh, uh, well, was probably the biggest difference in, the, in, in this and the original TV series. Right. Now, I like the
0: original, the original story had Spock um, kind of going on a desperate... He basically played a desperate hunch that he could ignite the fuel and kind of make a, a flare for the Enterprise to see and come back and get them. Yep. Uh, which which kind of showed that you know he was willing to do an emotional act uh, in order. Uh, uh, they 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 called it an emotional desperate act, even though I don't necessarily agree with their logic there. But but that was the that was the climax of the original show. Right. And then here it was that you know she defied orders and yet she did the wrong thing but but she did it for the right right reasons if that makes sense well she's going back to get her man right and And quite
1: frankly it was a good idea
0: it was it was a bad idea because she didn't know that he was going to be you know they didn't know she didn't know that they were going to be off the planet she didn't even know that they were even alive
1: but she had to go back right well, as far as the search in the original one, and even this one, as far as uh, the search for them, did they deploy other shuttlecrafts?
0: Yeah, they deployed the uh, Columbia. Okay. Or Columbus, I think it was the Columbus. Okay. And they had to keep widening the the search, so it, it was you know it was making more, more passes on the uh, over the continents, but it was skipping oh, more more area yeah, too. Exactly. So yeah, they did they did have the the other shuttle going after it in the first one. In right. the original one. And did they do it on this one? Uh, they didn't mention it at all. It's never yeah. mentioned that they're doing anything except scanning. Right. Well,
1: she did a, a desperate act. So it so her that did the desperate act. Oh, that's right. Good point.
0: And we'll see in next issue that, that I think this this event changes what would have normally happened in Operation Annihilate. In the original timeline. But we'll talk about that here in a little bit. There you
1: go. Um, I thought it was – one thing that was different from the uh, original TV show is you never got a good look at these creatures. It was very interesting how good a sh- how, how good a view you got of the creatures this time around.
0: Yeah, but you know, I watched the uh, original not too long ago, and, and you did see that they were really shaggy-looking ape people. It, it never showed a close-up of their face like it does here, but – I was surprised on how much they did actually show in the first in the original show. Yeah, I
1: again, I should have re-re- I should have watched the the original show again. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but um, I don't remember seeing anything more than fleeting shadows of them. Maybe an arm, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I don't remember getting a good view of them.
0: Yeah, no, it shows them from the back quite a bit because yeah. because there's actually another crewman that's not in this comic book that that gets killed too. So there's right. there's Two two guys get killed in the TV show, where here it was only the one. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Now, the other thing that I was going to talk about was uh, Yeoman Rand. I-, I love that she's in it because I-, I love Yeoman Rand, but but by the time this episode was made, Yeoman Rand wasn't in the show anymore, you know, because she was only in the first, what, 10 or so? Right. And I think this one was episode sixteen or something like that. so it's really down the line, she, yeah, yeah. So she was already gone, and there was another woman that was on the shuttle, right? A, a dark haired woman. So I, I, it's a nitpick. I'm glad that Rand is there, but technically she she wasn't there in the original story. And then the other thing that I noticed uh, was that Boma in the uh, original show was in the gold unit, the gold uniform, mm-hmm. and here he's he's a red shirt. So I don't know if in this alternate timeline he has a different position on the Enterprise, or if the people who make the comic books just thought it was better to have red shirts in danger. I don't know.
1: Good, Good point. Don't know.
0: And it's a nitpick.
1: I thought it was interesting how rather than being Kirk's yeoman, Rand seems to be doing a lot more stuff instead of just handing Kirk a
0: pad that he signs. Handsome coffee occasionally. Exactly right. And getting pinched on the butt by Charlie X. Oh yes, Charlie. <laughs> no, I, and I like her. I think she looks cute in this comic book.
1: Oh, she is cute. And in the next one, I have some com—I have comments too, because she again pops up in the uh, next story. Yeah, I have some
0: comments on that too. Right,
1: because
0: her look is uh, reminds me of an actress. So, anyway, so how do you think that they're doing on cutting down a, a, an hour-long movie or TV show into two comic books, knowing that the comic books now have a lot of more visuals and less dialogue? I mean, do you think they're doing the, the episodes justice? Because, I mean, they cut out a lot.
1: But they added more, too. Like, for instance, the big scene—the full-page scene of the uh, the primitive gorilla guys actually attacking the ship.
0: Right, but they yeah. showed so you them. don't
1: see though you don't see shots like that. So there are things that they're adding in, also.
0: Right, but they 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 cut out a lot of you know Spock. You yeah, know, dialogue Spock, and stuff. You know, in yeah. the in the original show, Spock has this big revelation that not everybody works off logic. You know, and that that was kind of what he took away from the show is that, uh, you know, he he tried to scare the eight people. They didn't get scared, uh, and instead they started attacking more furiously because they were because they were scared, right? So well, instead of being, instead of acknowledging the weapons <clears throat> that hurt them, they you know charged forward because they were scared.
1: Yeah, he thought they would react logically to a show of superior weaponry, but they didn't act logically (laughs) right so so they they act acted emotionally i mean they're primitives now i do find it interesting that you can see that uh in this full page thing where they're showing them uh beating on the shuttle and stuff with uh, with clubs that they've also got uh stone axes around their waist and they've got some kind of uh like uh leather shoulder belt things um and, of course, we saw the spears before. And they got some kind of bracelet thing with ninja stars on them. I thought, I thought that was kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think in the original show, they wore, like, uh, they had, like, like cloaks on or something. Yeah. I, I got to watch this like episode. Fur, like fur, like a bear fur kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Like they yeah. killed an animal and was wearing its skin as, as clothes. Over their own furry bodies. Cool. Right. It never actually showed them more than just the back, but yeah. but – it looked like they were wearing something on top of their bodies. Right. Cool. And the only other weapon, aside from the big spear that they showed in the original show, was rocks and um, a shield type thing. They showed they... a shield. Yeah, wow. they hit with... them again. Yeah, they hit one of them with this big like shield thing, and that's the one where it shows it shows the creature pick it up, throw it right and it's kind of like as you know like a two-handed type throw uh-huh. and then when it lands next to spock it's huge right to kind of show that you know it looks like a normal shield and then when he throws it it's now a giant shield because they're <laughs> cool <laughs> but yeah you should uh give it a look it's actually probably one it. of my it's one of my favorite episodes only because spock realizes that you know not you know he was like it's it's logical that they would acknowledge our superiority and leave us alone and then Sp- and then McCoy's like no you just pissed them off <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know i like that
1: yeah and considering how long spock has been hanging around um humans and been in the federation uh in starfleet uh academy and then in starfleet itself you think he might have picked up on a little of this stuff, but
0: eh. <laughs> yeah, they, again, what we talked about last time we did this part this part one and in the show itself, I hate that McCoy, of all people, kind of turn on him at the beginning and we're like, oh, here's your big chance of sitting in a chair. Right. That, that's just not characteristic for McCoy. Right. But he was there supporting him a lot. Uh, yeah, towards in, the end.
1: Right. In, in the middle. Right.
0: Right. In, in this issue, but in, in last issue, issue right. he was kind of like he was on Boma's side.
1: Yeah, big time.
0: Yeah. Anyways, but that's in that's very consistent with the episode itself. The episode was weird like that too. McCoy switched on him. Another thing I thought was kind of
1: odd was uh and out of character for the character was uh Scotty's uh, self-congratulatory congratulations he gave himself with that big old beaming smile uh, yeah. on his face when he said, "Another great job." Scotty and uh,
0: I don't think I don't think James Doohan would have ever done it like that. James Doohan wouldn't have, but Simon Pegg would have. I mean, that <laughs> is, it was <laughs> I'll con- that it was very consistent with the Scotty <clears throat> from the movie because he had a few moments like that too. <clears throat>
1: I agree, and obviously Pegg is making the character his own, but uh, and obviously they're they're carrying some of that through into the comics. But I'm just saying, uh, I agree with James you. Doohan,
0: Scotty would have never done that. But Scotty also wouldn't have said, it's like hitting a bullet with a bullet while riding a horse blindfolded. <laughs>
1: and uh, James Toohan wouldn't have had a little, uh, little scruffy-looking guy with him all the time. <laughs> and i still like to know what that relationship is. Anyway. They're friends, man. Oh, I know, I know. But they seem pretty buddy-buddy. Uh, maybe it'll be and explained stuff. in the sequel. Maybe. It's, it's kind of like the mis- mystery relationship between Guinan and Picard they never explained.
0: Okay, and as far as the Guinan and Picard thing, they do kind of explain it. When? Well, they, at least they explain that they've been friends, as far as Guinan is concerned, for hundreds of years. Because she was there when he went back in time, and you know he met her after knowing her for a long time, and yet she was meeting him for the first time. So I don't know. I, I think that I think that was kind of supposed to be the explanation of their part of their past. Oh. Uh. Because it was her past and his future that, that they became friends for the first time kind of thing. Remember in the time – it was Time Zero, I think it was. I
1: don't. But um, another one to put on my list to refresh my memory.
0: Speaking of refresh the memory, did you yes. get the Blu-ray of the next gen, the, the best of type thing? Um, The the little thing
1: – it, and I wouldn't quite call it a best of, the episodes they picked, but it's a nice little sampler – well, they, uh, uh, they picked
0: uh, the Farewell at Farpoint two-parter. Uh, Encounter at Farpoint. Encounter at Farpoint. And then the, the flute the flute
1: episode, right? Okay, the flute episode was good. I love that one. That Now, that was a good choice. I, I think Encounter at Farpoint was good because it was the first one, and the first time you see uh, the crew and even Q. So from that standpoint, I think it was a good episode. But there's a lot of that episode that kind of leaves me cold.
0: But was the was the special effects good? The the Blu-ray remastering?
1: Oh, it looks much better. Uh, well, okay, it looks it looks really good.
0: Okay.
1: And but if somebody didn't point out to me with side by side comparisons, which I've seen on several blog sites and ads and stuff for this, I wouldn't I wouldn't have remembered that the that the special effects were so poor.
0: Because
1: <laughs> <laughs> I thought you know when it first came out, of course this was a long time ago, I thought. Wow, look at that! That's a great enterprise, and all the all the special effects look really good. They got some money to do some stuff, but uh, you know, technology marches on and things get better. And I guess it wasn't as good as I I remembered it being.
0: <laughs> no, it's funny. I had the same argument with my mom when that came out because I used to. You know, belittle the original Star Trek because the t- the special effects were so bad right. to her because that was the one she grew up on. And then she was telling me, well, one day they're going to make a Star Trek and it's going to have special effects a lot better than what we're seeing now. And I'm like, it can't get any better than this. Are you crazy, Mom? <laughs> wow, Mom,
1: you're prophetic. She was prophetic. Wow, that's good. <laughs> I did have one last thing to say. I thought it was a little odd that towards the end of the action-packed story, we had – we had already established that with the full crew on board, they weren't going to be able to achieve orbit. Then, they go ahead and have to use the electrification to get the guys off the ship so they don't have to carry their weight, which all made perfect sense. But then after that, they start, you know, getting altitude and going, and that alone is going to use a lot of power. I mean, actually getting up off the ground and starting to to, to gain altitude. But then, they had to... Come down again. And all they were going to do is leave two bodies off, which was the original plan. Mm -hmm. Now, if you spent all that electricity, or power, um, electrifying the hull, and then you actually lift it off, and then you're actually gaining altitude, and now you're coming back down again, and now you're going to have to take off again and try to get to altitude again, I would think you'd have to get rid of four bodies, you know, or something. Right. more than the original plan. So... I don't know, it just seemed like it it just struck me as a little odd uh that they still felt they'd have enough uh power to lift off a second time. But Right, I agree. That's it. That's all I'd say. My last
0: comment. I enjoyed the uh, I enjoyed the comic. I did too. Now this wasn't the one that you thought contradicted something that happened in the 2009 movie, did it? No, not at all. Not okay. At all. It's the next one. It is. And it's going to be interesting to talk about because
1: now that I think well, let's get to it. Yeah, let let's get about. to it. Okay. This is Star Trek Ongoing number five, issue number five. And the name is Operation Annihilate. And this is part one. Published date is January 2012. Um, some of the people are the same, but I don't think everybody is. So let me just mention. Writer, Mike Johnson. Pencils by Joe Caroni. Letters, Neil Yutake. Uh Colorist is John Rausch. Uh, it's based on the teleplay by... Oliver Crawford, and Stephen W. Carbatzos And by the way, I didn't notice this, but one of those authors is the same as the Galileo 7. Right, the uh, Oliver Crawford. Oliver Crawford, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, he, 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 yeah, so I guess he apparently likes to write with uh, partners and different partners. Um, creative consultant R- Roberto Orchi. Editor is Scott Dunbrier. The cover shows, in the center, a publicity photo of Kirk in profile within an Enterprise uniform patch swoosh. To the left is McCoy scowling with his face also in profile. At the bottom center is the Enterprise, and beneath the Enterprise is the issue title, Operation Annihilate, Part 1. The story opens in Iowa when Kirk was a very, very bad boy who drove his dead father's very antique Corvette into a very deep desert canyon, the likes of which probably doesn't exist in Iowa. The policeman who brought the naughty James Kirk back home to his uncle's house is explaining to the uncle that his mo- and his mom that there is very little left of the car that can be salvaged. It is at the bottom of a very deep ravine and all. Jim tells the officer that the car wasn't even his uncle's. It was his dead father's car. That ticks off the uncle enough that he angrily tells Kirk's mother to put Jim in his room until he says otherwise. When Jim's mom brings him to the room, she tells him his big brother George will return. He also says that though Uncle Frank can get angry at times, he is always taking good care of them. Since he wants you to stay in your room for now, you have to do it. After she leaves the room, Jim climbs out of his room window and onto the roof. He is awash with his troubles, but has the beauty of the night sky to console him. The scene shifts abruptly to the bridge of the Enterprise, many years later, where Captain Kirk is asking Ohura whether she has picked up any signals from the colony on Deneva. She says she has not, but will continue trying. McCoy and Spock are discussing the centuries-old pattern of planetary mass insanity that has jumped planets to form a straight-lined Deneva. McCoy says there is no known medical cause for it. Sula reports sensors have picked up a ship on a direct course for the Denevan Sun. Kirk orders an intercept course for the ship. Warp factor 8. They get as near to the Denevan Sun as they dare and try to talk to the pilot out of his apparently intentional suicide run to the sun. All they hear from the pilot is, I'm free, finally free, before the one-man ship burns up in the heat and radiation of the sun. The crew is stunned. Kirk orders top speed to Deneva. Kirk asks McCoy why why would that man fly in the sun? McCoy says the most obvious answer is insanity. When they arrive at Deneva, Kirk leads a landing party made up of the three lead characters and of course two red shirts. Poor red shirts. Spock suggests that they may want to limit their exposure to the colonists if the same insanity that gripped the other planets is now infecting Deneva. The landing party has phasers drawn when they materialize in an open area near a fountain. They say there is A million colonists, but where are they all? Almost on cue, a band of club-wielding madmen come running up to the landing party, shouting, Intruders! When they get close enough, Kirk and company knock them out with phasers set on stun. McCoy starts taking readings on the attackers, while Kirk and Spock discuss how they all shouted one word together, Intruders as if all individual thought was missing. A group mind, perhaps. McCoy reports, even unconscious the colonists' metabolism is elevated far above normal. They are being stimulated by something, even when unconscious. McCoy says he needs to do further tests on the ship. Spock says he is picking up more life readings. They hear screaming coming from a nearby building and make their way there. They enter, and following life-sign readings, they end up down in maintenance tunnels that run throughout the city. Unexpectedly, a woman comes out of the shadows and grabs McCoy's shirt from behind. She screams for them to kill her. She says there are voices in her head that want her to help them spread, but she won't do it. Kill me, she says. McCoy takes out a hypo that looks curiously like, like a big pen and puts her out. McCoy wants to get her to the ship. Spock comments on her use of the term them, insinuating she was being attacked by a sentient threat rather than being infected by a disease. Kirk orders security man Edwards to take the woman to the surface and get her back to the ship. Kirk and company continue on until they enter an open area with pink-looking blobs of flesh with a dozen or so tentacles coming out of them. They actually walk forward until they are surrounded by these things. A very ill-advised move. They apparently don't have monster movies in the 23rd century. Sure enough, several attack, Spock, and one even envelops his head completely. He appears to be unconscious, but alive. Kirk and McCoy get him up to move back the way they came so they can hopefully get away from the interference and be transported away to safety. In the meantime, more colonists have arrived, shouting, Intruder! And the female red shirt lets them have it with phaser fire. Another contingents of colonists come at them from another direction. They are pinned down with a flood of colonists coming in at them. The female redshirt shouts, there's too many of them. Kirk tries to call the Enterprise again, while keeping the firing up. No response. Suddenly, when all appears lost, a floor panel moves to expose an opening through which gas canisters come flying at the colonists. In the confusion, the landing party is able to get down a ladder to the lower level. They come face to face with their bearded rescuer that says he knows another way to the surface. McCoy asks if Kirk thinks they can trust this guy, to which Kirk replies, I know him. He's my brother. Da-da-da! To be continued.
0: Yes, and George, his brother, is looks just like Chris Pine with, with long hair and a beard. Exactly. And what was that like? Uh, the original George Kirk that... Was Shatner with a a fake mustache?
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So they did the same kind of thing, only
0: a lot more hair. And this time, George is still alive. Yes. Which I kind of like. Yes. I I like the interaction with uh, George and Kirk in the next issue. Exactly. And, um, Yes. Now, the, uh, the female red shirt that you, you called her, her name yes. is Yeoman Zara. Zara. She was actually in the episode. Oh, was she? Right. Was she at the landing party? Yep. Oh, cool. So I thought that was a nice touch that they kept, kept her character in right. the story.
1: Now, in the original episode, did a red shirt get it, or was Spock the only one that got it on his back? I thought Spock was the only
0: one that got it. He okay, got it on so his that back. The same. Okay.
1: Right. Right. I remember that. <laughs> I remember. I remember what seemed to be a very fake-looking rubber monster that attached to his back. <laughs> yeah. What, was it as bad as I remember?
0: It was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But here they try to depict him almost like you know the alien face hugger yes, that exactly. just jumps on their face. Right. But in
1: this case, it's Pepto-Bismol colored and. uh and just like like the
0: blob from that old Steve McQueen movie, right? And also in the original one, the woman that jumps out and scares uh, scares the group and kind of right. helps them out is uh, uh, I never pronounce her name right. Ari Ari Lynn? is that how you say it? Kirk's or uh, uh, George's wife? Oh, okay. Ari Lynn. Okay, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, it sounds right. Who knows? Yeah, so uh, obviously this woman that r- jumps out and startles them is not her. Right. Or, well, maybe it's a spoiler. Uh, pretend like I didn't say that if you haven't read issue number six. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're spoiling too much. But but anyways, so uh, – but did you notice – and I don't want to cut you off, but there, I think they made a, a a huge mistake there on page 17. Uh, let me go to page seventeen. It's when uh, Zara is shooting the the zombies or colonists, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. And Kirk is trying to get a hold of the Enterprise. You you see the picture, kind of right there in the middle, where Kirk is saying, "Kirk, to Enterprise, come in." Um. Well. Well, what's he tapping his badge for? Exactly. Why is he tapping his badge? Because he's actually shown tapping his badge, and then it's making this tweet-tweet sound. That's
1: an excellent point. Um, it looks like he's doing a next-gen move.
0: Yeah, exactly. So how did, how did that one slip past? I don't
1: know. That's that's funny. That's funny. Because obviously um, the landing party gear is very unsophisticated. You know, we don't have the Velcro things that hold things on. It's like a big, thick belt. And you can see the communicators, plain as day, on the belt. Right. And they're big and, and kind of clunky-looking, really. As they look like in the movie, so... Well, well, well yeah, right. It's, it's a comment for the movie, too. Right. And the belt's a comment, like, for the movie, too. I mean, it looks rather retro.
0: Which I like. Yeah.
1: It, it actually reminds me a lot of some of the gear they had in the, uh, in the Gold Key comics.
0: <laughs> some of the practical really? away team paraphernalia. Oh. Oh, oh yeah, like like those big rectangular boxes that were on their back. Well, no, those were backpacks. Yeah, <laughs> very uncomfortable looking ones. But no, but the, the belts. Right. You know, no, the, I the got Belts you.
1: Were, are, are very reminiscent of the uh, gold key ones. Anyways,
0: I didn't know if that was the spot you were talking about uh, as far as what they changed because they had him using a chest communicator instead of the hand communicator. That is not what I meant. Uh, is what you meant in this issue, or is it next issue? Let's, let's talk about it. A-
1: okay. and, and maybe it was just my misinterpretation of the original 2000 movie, 2009 okay. movie, which I saw like 10 times.
0: Yeah, sure. <sighs> I was with so, you on a couple of them. Uh, uh, yes, you
1: were. Yes, you were. Uh, IMAX. So um, I thought it was Kirk's stepfather. Not his uncle, that was the one that was talking to him uh, on through the car radio. In the novel, it, it's it's they say
0: it's his uncle. Okay, there you go.
1: But and, and and I don't think in the movie they came out and said it.
0: No, they didn't but, say it one way or the other.
1: But it was my assumption, and obviously a mistaken assumption, that it was uh, it was a stepfather.
0: Right, and that was my assumption until I got to the novel and. Ah. and... Found out that it was supposed to be his uncle.
1: And, of course, you know who the uncle was.
0: Mm, the actor? The actor.
1: Yeah. Who was it? It was a J.J. Abrams favorite, and hopefully his name will come to mind. Maybe not, but I will tell you some of his work. Parkman from the uh, Heroes TV series. You know, so, so the cop that had the ability to read minds. Oh okay. Uh so Parkman that was that was the guy. Uh and he was also on Alias. He was like uh like like the like the kind of funny uh comic relief uh kind of sort of other agent that would uh you know pop up back at the uh the the, the HQ of the Alias uh spies. Sure. So uh, he was in there too and he was also on Lost at least the first episode as the 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 pilot or maybe he was the navigator, I don't know. He was in the crew of the plane that crashed. Okay. Who was eaten up by a monster almost immediately. Huh. So apparently this is a guy who uh JJ Abrams and company, uh, you know, are friends or whatever. And uh he did say while he was on the uh, on the hero show that he's in talks uh to get somehow onto the movie somehow. And he didn't say how it was gonna happen, but his
0: voice made it into the movie. All right. That's I'd, I'd mention that. Do they not show him in the movie? Oh, they show him in the deleted scene. Have you watched the deleted scenes? I have the movie? not. See- what? Oh, is that, not- is that on the DVD? It's on the Blu-ray. Oh, man. I got to look at that. Yeah, because it shows him – like, he's making the kids wash the car. And then the – the, the – uh, the George or Johnny, yeah. whatever it was, yeah. uh, says that he's leaving because – you can't be a Kirk in this house and that you uh, – he has to go off and uh, run away. And that's when it shows little Kirk decide that he's going to steal his dad's car and, and trash it. Right. And he doesn't crash it into a canyon. Oh. That's supposed to be the quarry that they are using to make the Enterprise Or in the other Starfleet shows. And oh, you're Starfleet. kidding me. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, no, that's supposed to be a man made quarry that was used to build the uh the ships. So I don't yeah, really know how is... much metal would be in the dirt there in Iowa, but
1: uh I I don't know. And why would you why would you have a starship manufacturing in Iowa? But it must be a reason.
0: <laughs> it makes more sense that it would be Jupiter station.
1: Uh or was it Jupiter? No. It was San Francisco.
0: Well, but, San Francisco, was that where it was made? That was where Starfleet was. I,
1: I know that, but I'm pretty sure that one of those uh, those plates, those commission plates that they have on the ship that they show. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure one said uh, San Francisco shipyards or something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. But Jupiter shipyards was...
0: Was a later uh,
1: Enterprise supposed to be built there?
0: I don't know. I'm, it just sounds familiar. Sounds cool. That so, that <laughs> sounds familiar
1: to me too. But uh, anyways, anyway, so so that was my confusion, I suppose, or my assumption from the movie. I just thought the uh, I thought the stepfather would be the more logical uh, jerk
0: than than an uncle, but right, then then your mom's brother exactly right. But... Yeah, I think they call him Uncle Frank or something, or something well, like that. they called him Uncle Frank here. Did they? No, I think in the in the deleted scene, they call him Uncle Frank, too. Yeah. So. Well, I got
1: that. I got so much DVD stuff to watch.
0: Yeah, you really should watch the deleted scenes. They're, they're yeah. pretty good. And yeah. then there's a good gag reel, too, that's actually kind of funny. Oh, cool. Okay. Of them just cutting up I'll and dancing. There's a lot of dancing for some reason. I guess that must have been an inside joke. Because every time they make a mistake, they all start doing this really stupid dance. And so it must have been some sort of inside joke on the set. <laughs> okay. Anyways, Good so uh, may I talk about my favorite picture of the whole, of the whole comic? Shoot. Shoot. Page what two. Page? page two. Early. Yeah. Oh, I know why, too. <laughs> For the first time in any comic book medium... We get to see the NX zero one in in some exactly. sort of picture: exactly. I think that's great. Oh, I would... like that I like it was, that. It was so great
1: <laughs> so in a ghostly hologram being projected from the ceiling, kind of like you might see with uh, some kind of a uh well a star show kind of thing mm-hmm. they have projected for those of you that don't know the comic book they have uh, a moon lander. Um, and they've got a, a shuttle, uh, which I can only assume is, a, is an Enterprise, is the Enterprise one, which never actually went into, into space. Right. And they've got the Spirit of St. Louis, and of course your favorite, the NX zero one Enterprise. Very cool.
0: Yeah, I was I was so happy. <laughs> I'm happy. I just think that out of all the Star Trek franchises, that is like the least acknowledged.
1: Yeah, and that's unfortunate.
0: And it was a good show. It was just – it came out at a bad time. People were sick and tired. Yeah, it was – Star Trek had been shoved down their throats for 15 years. I thought he did a good job. Oh, he Uh, did a great job. Scott
1: Bakula, I think he's a great actor, and I I just thought he was absolutely great in in Quantum Leap, and I thought he was excellent as Archer. But something I had mentioned to you uh, not too long ago – is that a survey came out that actually I don't know how many people that they asked but they had a a fairly high number of people uh, a survey that had five questions uh, that were talking about uh, by these characteristics which Star Trek captain do you like the most and one was who was most inspirational who was most which captain was the most uh, intelligent you know those kind of different factors and then that all added up into uh, a ranking and unfortunately Scott Bakula was absolutely uh trailing by large numbers on most every uh characteristic unfortunately that is unfortunate that is very unfortunate and of course the winner by uh, a fair amount the the from this survey the most favorite captain Decker he wasn't on the list. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is uh, Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah, that's not a surprise. It's not. I mean, I, at least i that's who I thought. But the degree to which he slapped Kirk, I was surprised. Huh. So, yeah. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that.
0: Yeah, no, that is cool. I'm going to have to look that up um, yeah. and find out what all the categories were. Yeah. And, and so you, you said Janeway was pretty high up there? Was she number G- three?
1: Um... No, I think uh I think Cisco was number three.
0: Oh Cisco. However wow.
1: However, um Janeway did what did come in number one as most inspirational. That's... Uh and, and and supposedly the explanation was because how she stuck to the morals and stuck her uh you know, her crew in the gamma quadrant or wherever the hell they were. Was right? It was it Gamma uh Delta. Uh, no they were in the well, delta whatever. delta that's it the delta quadrant um i mean she stuck them there i mean there was an opportunity to get back but she stuck them th- there because of uh for moral reasons right so anyway. hmm.
0: all
1: right so well, moving on
0: i don't necessarily agree with that list but everybody's entitled to their own op- own opinion well you you agree with picard i, I agree with I picard is the most popular yeah the most pop- <laughs> oh, really? Okay, I know you're...
1: Okay, uh, we, we gotta get off of this. Yeah, right. I gotta know. What, Cisco? Who? who? Uh,
0: I don't know. I, I if, know you if know... Push I know came you love to shove. If Push space, came to none. shove, it would be Picard or, or Kirk, but I, I like them all in diff- for different reasons. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, get off the wishy-washy thing. You gotta make a pick. Uh, I guess I would pick... I'd pick Picard, I guess.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's no question in my mind... Although I'm a big Kirk fan, but yeah. I think I think
0: I think Picard was just a little more realistic. I don't know. You know, we might have had the same conversation back when we did the the Modella um, episode where McCoy asked Spock, or oh, McCoy asked that McCoy, the same exact question. So we may be retreading ourselves from three weeks ago. But oh well, that's yeah. what we do. We, we like do that. that. We like to have the same conversation multiple times in case you missed one. Exactly. <laughs> and in case we contradict ourselves, which, which
1: can happen. <laughs> exactly. So I got to say, it must have been difficult getting the unconscious Spock down that ladder. That vertical <laughs> ladder. Oh, they just dropped him. Well, yes. You know, breaking legs and whatever. It's like, But of course, they, they, they didn't dwell on that because you got to keep the, the action going. Uh, I just thought it was kind of weird. I also think that the Denovan architecture was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty cool looking. Um, like boiler room? Or the inside or the outside? No, no, the outside. The boiler room. I love that boiler room. No, uh, <laughs> the tunnels, no, not not too pretty. Okay. But the architecture on the surface. Yeah, you know, it's very all like white, smooth very waves and things. Right, exactly. Um, I think it would look kind of cool. Yeah, I agree. And I thought uh, Warp Factor 8 within the solar system was a little overkill, but... I guess we didn't really know exactly how far away they were uh, when they picked up the uh, ship going into the Denovan Sun. But, right. You know. Warp Factor 8, and, you know, we just passed the fourth planet. And it's like, ah! I don't know. It's <laughs> kind of fast. Uh, good point. But they had to get there fast, so I guess, okay.
0: Yeah. There was a lot of really good shots of the Enterprise, I thought, especially at the beginning like just flying around towards the Sun I thought was some of those were good right might just be one
1: well they uh, this comic series does a very good job of uh, playing up one
0: of its major assets which is the
1: enterprise
0: right and I don't know why Chekhov spoke Russian to him on page uh, that one's not numbered but when they're beaming down he he's says something in Russian, and then it's translated yeah. Bon Voyage. Bon, bon Voyage, right. Well, did you know he's Russian? I did know he was Russian. Okay. But what? why would the universal translator not just say... Ah!
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do they use that on the ship, too, to override everything people are saying? Yeah, sure, why not? Even though they all speak Esperanto? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it.
0: <laughs> that was awesome. Esperanto. Live it. Uh, all right. Anything else for five? Nothing. All right. Let's, let's jump on. into six. Exactly. The conclusion. All right. So the writer, artist, letterer, editor, all the other good stuff, same person. So we won't go through that again. So the first cover is the uh, Tim Bradstreet cover. Oh, what? Did you talk about the alternate cover on the last issue? I did not. Let's talk about it because it's so important. Is it why? Uh, because because somebody spent four dollars on getting it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so
1: the the one the single the, comic that I bought, I am looking in the back back cover or the it, inside of the back page. So I'm looking at them. it's
0: just a random photo of Kirk sitting in the command chair. That's it. I hate the photo covers. so do
1: I. Why even get them?
0: I don't know. So
1: so, so they don't make many of those, right? So they're more like collector's items or something? No, I think,
0: I think they're about half and half. It's the sketch ones that are rare. Oh, I see.
1: Okay. Cool. The black and white pencil
0: drawing right. things, whatever. Right. And you said that that photo, the picture of, of Kirk in the middle was a stock photo, but that's actually a painting. All of these covers are paintings, even though they look photo-realistic.
1: Yeah, okay. So uh, it, it looks really realistic. Yeah. He's... I mean I mean you can tell that McCoy is a paint is a drawing painting whatever but um uh well obviously uh, I he, said he... it
0: so I I thought it was a photo. Yeah, no. He's just good. He's good. He's just that good. All right. So, uh issue number 6, uh Operation Annihilate Part 2 came out February of 2012. Uh just a couple weeks ago. Um it, the first cover is the, the Tim Bradstreet cover, and it has the Enterprise uh, in profile there on the bottom. Uh, and then within the Starfleet symbol is a picture of Spock with a glowing eye. And then the right side of Spock's face is kind of outside of the symbol, so we don't see it. But there's like a gaseous shape uh, behind the Starfleet logo that kind of makes out his skull. So it's actually a really cool picture. Uh, the second cover is a uh, sketch of the first one, uh, the black and white sketch, and then the third cover is just Spock sitting in the command chair. So last ep- last issue, Kirk in the command chair. This uh, issue, Spock. So, anyways, story starts off with Kirk's captain's log, bringing the reader up to speed. So we won't really go into detail there. Uh, it closes with. Uh, And this is an actual quote. The last person I expected to see was my older brother. And then we turn the page and we see a very grizzled picture of George Kirk sitting in the Enterprise conference room. He and and Kirk are talking and he calls Kirk Jimmy. Kirk quickly points out to not call him that. George says that he knows Kirk is mad at him for leaving. He tries to explain that he wanted to go home. He wanted to be at the uh, at home to see their mother one last time. But Kirk cuts him off and says he lost the right to talk about her and that he does not have time to listen to him with Spock in the medical bay uh, with the organism on his face. He turns to leave, but George stops him, and he gives him the revelation that Kirk is an uncle and that uh, Peter – George's son, is still on the planet along with George's wife. Kirk refuses George's request to go back to the planet to search for them. Kirk then gets a call from McCoy to head to the sickbay to help him with Spock. So we now flash to sickbay where Spock is free of the parasite, but he is writhing in pain on, on the bed. McCoy and Kirk are able to hold him down while McCoy gives him multiple doses of sedatives. Once Spock is finally calm, McCoy explains to Kirk that the organism just popped off after a few cuts, and it seems to be dead. In the bed, Spock starts a mantra, I am Vulcan, and he says this over and over again, peppered with a few, no pain. After a bit of this, Spock awakens, and he states that he's feeling completely normal. He states that he was able to control the intense agony uh, since pain is just a state of mind. He does admit that he still feels the urge for irrational behavior, uh, similar to what the colonists were experiencing. He says that the urge is to take over the ship. Before Kirk can get any more out of him, Yeoman Zara uh, from the transporter room reports that there's been an emergency. So Kirk leaves, and he arrives at transporter room two and finds a blonde woman kneeling beside an unconscious man. Uh, this blonde woman looks Like Yeoman Rand, but I'm assuming it's supposed to be Yeoman Zara since she was the one that that called him there. So we'll talk about that in a second. She tells Kirk that his brother attacked the unconscious man and then he beamed down to the planet. Kirk orders her to transport him to the same coordinates and steps on the transporter pad. In sickbay, McCoy and Spock analyze the creature. Spock recalls that the colonists and the shuttle that went into the sun claimed that they finally felt free right before they melted into oblivion back on the planet kirk finds himself in his brother's home on a desk is the holographic images of his mother and father just then there is a loud no from the other room On the ship, Spock is attempting an experiment. He speculates that the radiation from the sun is what killed the alien's influence over the Doom Shuttle's passengers. He modifies a scanning bed-slash-coffin-looking thing to emit the same radiation, and he slips inside. McCoy tries to talk him out of it, but Spock performs the experiment anyway. Light is shown streaming from the coffin, and when it opens, Spock says that he no longer feels the presence in his mind. McCoy does a quick scan and does not find any trace of the organism in his body anymore. However, Spock does point out that there was a side effect. He is now blind. Back in George's home, Kirk shoots a few of the creatures and arrives to find George cradling his wife and son. Both of them have the creatures abo- uh, um, over their face. Kirk orders that beam up, but Scotty cannot comply due to some interference from the planet. However, he does say that he and Chekhov have devised a way to use the satellites to flood the city with the same radiation from Spock's experiment. Kirk tries to comfort his brother, saying that everything's going to be all right. A short time later, Peter Kirk opens his eyes in the medical bay. He looks up and he sees his uncle looking down at him. McCoy gives another recount of Spock's Scotty's, and Chekhov's brilliant plan and how they have rid the planet of the creatures. He also says that Spock should re- start regaining his eyesight soon due to a second set of eyelids. In, a, in Spock's bedroom, Ahura and Spock are in bed with little to no clothes on. Ahura is getting worried that Spock is taking unnecessary risks um, here and also in the Galileo 7 story. Spock says that he does not understand her concerns, but he will endeavor to alleviate them as soon as circumstances uh, arise. He leaves her on the bed and starts to get dressed. In Kirk's quarters, George gives him a copy of The Hollow of their parents. He no longer calls him Jimmy. He says that he missed his little brother. The, The short Kirk family reunion comes to an end when George, Peter, and Arlen return home. Kirk tells his family that he will keep in touch, and George says that their parents would be very proud of him. Next issue, Vulcan's Revenge.
1: Vulcan's Revenge. That doesn't sound like an original track
0: story. It is not. But wait a minute. Very good. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I am, but I enjoyed these these two stories. Oh, yes, me too, me too.
1: I'll be honest.
0: I was a little on the fence uh, with where no man has gone before mm-hmm. uh, because I thought that was aside from you know kind of explaining why Sulu and Chekhov were there because they you know and Mitchell and and the other guys you know how how those two people having the same job kind of kind of retconning that aside right. from that little bit the story was almost exactly the way the original one was. But here in Galileo Seven and Operation Annihilate they they tweaked the story enough to 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 make it more enjoyable, I thought. Yeah. And having the Kurt family alive and whole was a was a nice little happy ending for this story. That was. Not having George dead on the on the ground and have Spock just callously walk over his body when <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that recently? No. It's very funny when Kirk sees his brother dead on the floor, and he turns around and he puts his head against the 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 bulkhead of the of the room. You know, obviously very emotional. It's rot. Yep. And then Spot comes in, literally just steps over George's body, and then uh-huh. says, "Captain, we have something." Blah blah blah. blah. But uh-huh. <laughs> it's just hilarious how casual is. Yeah, and he kind of kicks him on the way over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well he is unemotional so i guess he wouldn't have attachments to things like that no probably not <laughs> yeah
1: I, I like the fact that kirk's an uncle right unexpected uncle um uh, and, and considering what a bad childhood he's had apparently right, right in this in this uh in this new reality right um i think
0: that's cool uh that he's got uh you know family like that right and i loved that it kind of a you know it kind of filled in some of his you know missing years there in the movie right because, you know you never knew if he ever ended up getting back with uh George or if George truly left right or Johnny or whatever his name was in that movie his name is obviously George here which is right. fits in with the original continuity right so no i liked it so obviously george left Never came back, even after their mom was dying. And, and there's a lot of resentment from Kirk to his older, estranged brother.
1: I liked it. Me too. Me too. Um, you might if I mention uh, or just present to you, uh, hopefully briefly, uh, my little thesis? You have a thesis? I have a thesis. Oh, wow. So, um, after reading in the previous issue, the, the interactions... Uh, well, actually, re- after reading his, Kirk's first interactions with his brother in the briefing room, and, and then of course seeing more details about what happened in the in the first issue of this two comic book issue arc, it just occurs to me how broken Kirk's childhood was. I mean, badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I think of how the original Kirk's childhood probably was, even though you only you only know so much about it um i think in some ways they're kind of products of their time period uh as in the 60s versus the uh the 2000s right so uh back in the 60s i think things were things were still a little sugar coated uh right. maybe not as sugar coated as they were in the 50s and the 40s but things were kind of sugar coated in the media you know you didn't hear as much about uh you know divorce and uh you know some of the bad situations that unfortunately happen right uh, and now uh so you know Kirk had a good childhood uh he had a brother uh that was as far as you knew supportful uh he had a father uh mother all the whole thing he he had he had had a good uh, uh, a good upbringing mm-hmm. um but in the 2009s, where the divorce rate continues to go up, and there's a lot more uh, single parents, and, um, and you hear about everything. I mean, uh, there's not much that's sugarcoated these days. Um, I think they're kind of reflecting a little bit uh, of that in this, uh, this new re- reimagining of Kirk.
0: Well, I agree, and I think they're trying to give him something else to overcome. So. Right.
1: Oh, that too. That right, too. and he had a lot to overcome when he was younger right and, so, and, and i really didn't like and another thing is uh the uncle ends up being a jerk i mean a bad jerk and the mother seems to be simpering a simpering second-rate person uh comp- you know uh, under the brutal rule of her overbearing older brother it's like
0: yeah well i think in the novel and maybe even in the uh comic book adaptation oh. of the first movie yeah I think it's saying that she's still part of Starfleet, so she's off on ships and the kids are staying with the uncle and she kind of doesn't know how they're being treated.
1: Well, but, that's the that's the impression I got uh from the movie cuz, you know, the uncle had the line just cuz your mother's off world. Right.
0: Okay. But but here, I mean, she actually has that conversation with Kirk shortly after he loses the car and right. And, you kind of get the feeling that maybe she's always there. Uh, she yeah, it, just wasn't there at that moment. So right. I, I don't know what the case, maybe. Right. But I oh. definitely agree with you on the, um, you know, one Kirk had a rosy childhood and this one has had it pretty tough. Right. Uh, and then,
1: well, yeah, and then, and then my my other assertion is, to some degree, it's a product of the times that the media came out in. But
0: uh. no, I agree. And you know, maybe it made him. Maybe it made the new Kirk more relatable, because they gave him. You know, he had to fight himself. You know, he basically had to overcome his own limitations and the chips on his own shoulders to right. become the the great leader that he ended up at the end of the show. Leader. Yes, <laughs> that's the only way you can rise to uh, you know that kind of level of authority in such a short amount of time.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Um, I was kind of wondering about the uh, the very handy force field that was coming up from the planetary surface. To keep them from beaming up? Beaming up? Uh, no, to keep them from, uh, from the impulse drive from working. That very short panel they had where, uh, where Scotty's trying to figure out, noodling on things, trying to figure out how, uh, you know, how they can get the impulse drives going again. It was very brief mention. Oh, right. Yeah, I skipped it in the synopsis. Right. Yeah. It, it almost didn't have to be there, quite frankly. I mean, but but basically, what 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 it, what the story was saying in like one little panel is that there's a, a beam being projected up on the Enterprise, which is dampening the uh, the impulse drive. Now, was that in the last comic? Oh, I thought it was in this one. But let me look again. Right.
0: No. I mean, no, no. That panel is in this one. But did they yeah. talk about the beam? No, the last coming. Well, I don't think so yeah, I don't think so either. No, I mean, they were in orbit and then, and then
1: they just mentioned that thing here, and it's like, well, why do you need to do that? I mean right,
0: you yeah, know, you're right, right. yeah, and, that, and, and and the same thing about he suddenly can't beam anybody up and down because of a force field, and I was like, or interference from the planet, and I was like, "What are you talking about
1: oh well that i that I thought they were just underground. Uh, deep enough, and there was enough electrical conduits and whatever that was causing the problem. But, but uh, yeah, there, there might have been
0: something more going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, Kirk beams straight down to George's house. Well, but George's house wasn't underground. Well, but that's where George was when he when he because he screams and then Kirk goes into the other room, shoots off a couple of those creatures, but, and then finds George with the wife. Well, well, I know, but th- but that's when they're above ground in
1: a house as opposed to underground in maintenance tunnels
0: right. right but that's where they were when they tried to get kirk to beam them up and and he couldn't do it because he said there was interference from the planet oh right okay that time okay i got okay i got that but oh oh you're talking about last issue when he was he, when they were being attacked and they were trying to get out. And yeah, Spock I, had the thing on his face.
1: You're Yeah, I mean, that, that's when I was remembering the problems with transportation, but you're right. Okay. Uh, there was some in this one, too. Yeah, no, I was talking about this one, sorry. Okay. Well, no, no, you, you were right to talk about this issue, since that's the one we're talking about. Uh, I didn't remember that bit. So, yeah, anyway. So, a lot of convenient things going on. Um,
0: not always for incredibly obvious reasons. And I think I think if you watch the show I think it explains it I I really don't think they are doing a very good job adapting the whole episode into two issues. Yeah. Uh, it seems like they're really cutting down a lot of the story and and this uh you know this this force field thing might was in the original show if I'm not mistaken. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Cuz I don't remember that. But it's been a long time since I've
1: seen the episode. Right. Well, why did they need that, then? So, j- just to underscore the fact that they weren't going to be able to go anywhere? Right, they couldn't leave. And by the way, all they said was impulse engines. Don't you have warp drive? Or would it be too dangerous to do warp drive from, a, from an orbit?
0: I think it would be too dangerous. I think you would, you would damage the planet, right? Or create a wormhole. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But I do
1: know that uh, on Blaster... Uh, there was an article, a short little article, where they were talking about, sorry folks, warp drive will probably never happen. You know, so some physicists, uh, you know, from like, I forgot, some some foreign university, uh, had said, if you actually tried to make a warp bubble, uh, in which you could travel faster than light or whatever, just, and then you actually tried to to move in, in this warp bubble, uh, at, at such extreme speeds, well, anyway, I'm not going to go into details, but the, basically what, what they were asserting is that you would be ta- causing such damage to, uh, <laughs> you know, to, the, to, to, to all the neighboring space around where you're traveling that uh, you know, it, would be, it would be bad, <laughs> very bad. Like crossing the streams. And they did talk a little bit about something like that towards the, uh, towards the end of the next-gen run.
0: Right, where they were damaging space exactly somehow,
1: and uh anyway, I just thought i'd mention i just I just thought I'd throw that little damp water uh <laughs> on our on, on our hopeful future, uh since we did bring up the idea of how uh you know we'd kill the planet if we tried to go to warp drive in orbit
0: right huh it's related, yeah
1: interesting point about uh the confusion over the transportation officer. Right, and I don't because, know
0: if she's the transportation officer, but she's in the transportation room. Well, and also didn't did didn't she beam uh, George down? No, I think she said that he he you know, it says he programmed the controls to beam himself down to the surface. Oh,
1: well, how do you know to do that?
0: Okay, well, I guess
1: he's, he's a Kirk. Well, but she's not part of start. Well, okay.
0: <laughs> whatever.
1: So whatever. Uh, but I thought she was Yeoman Rand just because she was cute little thing. And didn't didn't Yeoman Rand have the same little little thing coming out of her hand? Yeah. No,
0: I thought it was Yeoman Rand too. It looks yeah. it looks like her. I mean, it's a different artist than last issue, so right. her face looks slightly different. Right. But yeah, I, I was I was convinced that was Yeoman Rand, and I was like, <laughs> well, that doesn't make sense because because in the page before it says, Captain, this is Zara emergency and transporter room two right and then you turn the page and why is yeoman ren there
1: well not only that unless there was a security problem that they knew about ahead of time what is a security person doing in the transporter room i mean uh, she was a security Z- zara or whatever
0: she was what right mean, uh, yeah i don't know what she was she was a yeoman in the uh, original show so i don't i don't know if that means i don't know what that but, means but, i don't but, know but, what but the hell a yeoman does too I'm gonna be honest with you. Well, I, I thought yeoman was just like
1: like low low officer on the totem pole, and they do lots of different things, don't they? I don't know.
0: Right. So they're below an ensign,
1: I think. Okay. Uh, in so yeoman, so yeoman really means you're like the lackey, the I don't know uh, of the captain. I don't. No. Know. I I thought it was just a really low level uh, officer, but I don't. know. Right. Um it was definitely confusing there. Good point. Good point. Yeah, on on all counts.
0: Yeah. So I don't know if it was just a mistake, you know, that that the uh the artist drew Rand in there even though it should have been I I th- I think the sorry. more likely
1: I think the more likely mistake was uh the letterer or the script writer or whatever used the wrong name.
0: Hm, maybe,
1: but and by the way, I think she – I think the way this artist depicted Rand, her face looks a little like um, Sarah Jessica Parker.
0: Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, yeah, they're on page uh, 11, the the right-hand panel.
1: Uh, is that oh, – let me, let me go to page 11.
0: Yeah. Yes, uh, yes, yes. The right-hand
1: it. panel. So her nose is a little big, but she's still really hot.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: You know, the blue eyes and stuff? And, right. I don't know. She looks like Sarah Jessica Parker to me. Oh, I really like the comedy they threw in there. Uh, so uh, you didn't mention it because it's a synopsis. But uh, there's a part where Kirk comes back and it, and is explained by – McCoy explains to him how how Scotty and uh, – Right. And and, uh, and the Russian guy. Jack <laughs> off. Right. Uh, came up with a solution. And Kirk says uh, to tell McCoy – Okay, now explain explain Scotty's solution to me again without a Scottish accent. Right, yeah, that was I thought cool. that was funny. I like
0: that. And I also like the end of that conversation when when McCoy's talking about Spock's eyesight. Yeah. And says that he didn't know anything about secondary eyelids and that he needs to see a Vulcan physician if there is any more. Right. I thought yes. that, that was a really I like that. Yeah. Good. Just bringing us back
1: to the whole uh blowing up on the planet right which brings us and maybe they they slip that in there as just a little
0: reminder as a lead into the next uh, next issue i was thinking the same thing yeah all right my last comment and then i'll let you steal the show um they're on page 20 when spock's getting dressed yes i think that ahura's blanket falls off of her
1: Okay, and
0: now it, I would have noticed that. I mean, if it actually showed anything. But well, uh, I think it does show something. I mean, okay. she's in she's in profile. Oh come she's, on, she's in shadow, but you you're I it's think nibby? it's implying it's that her little she's Nibby? Completely naked, yeah.
1: Oh, I'm sure she is completely naked. Okay, I, okay, I, I get you. I, I see what you're saying. It just that's a that's that's a little
0: that's a little little one. Seems scandalous. That's all I'm saying. I just scammed this. You couldn't have had her blanket still over her chest like the panel before. Well, you know they got
1: obviously got through you know making Whoopi. It's <laughs> like um, you know it's like when people get out of bed with pajamas on, or like or like uh, you know well, like like Spock he gets uh, he's got boxer shorts on.
0: Right. As as, yeah. When he gets out of bed, he's already got the boxers on.
1: Well, yeah, and it's like, ah, uh, no, that's not the way it works. I mean, you know, come on. They're going to be naked. Come on. Uh, right.
0: <laughs> well, I do, I don't want to see that though. Okay. <laughs> I I do. I'm fine I, with it. I, I don't want to know if if Vulcans are, you know, anatomically correct compared Oh, to. oh, that. I'm talking about hurrah. <laughs> okay. Oh, anatomically, I hope they're anatomically correct. That that's one of the things I liked about uh Alienation, the movie, yeah. not, maybe not, maybe not the TV show that much, but they uh they show a naked newcomer, and he's completely smooth down there oh, and then huh. uh the guy who plays uh, uh James khn James Khan is Con. like, "What's going on here?" And then you know they find out that their uh sexual organs are in a different spot. I just thought that was funny because not all all aliens are going to be uh similar to humans.
1: Oh, I agree, I agree. Something interesting about Babylon 5 is that uh, there is a race, uh, a prominent race in, in, in the whole TV series, whose genitalia are nothing like humans.
0: Okay. The male's.
1: The male's genitalia.
0: Okay. And it shows it?
1: It does in an episode.
0: <laughs> and it's I'm, really funny. I need to watch that show. <laughs> I mean, not, not for that, but just I've always wanted to watch it. I've only seen the pilot, and I've never seen anything else. Oh well, you should. You know, it's uh, I mean, if you have got, if you got the time. I mean, I think it's good sci-fi. Uh, right.
1: Although Sheldon Cooper says it's highly derivative, I do. <laughs> I, I enjoy it. That was funny. <laughs> That's a great show, too. I don't have anything else to say. So, should we wrap up?
0: Yeah. Well, we're gonna do the expanded universe since. These are new months for us. Okay, let's go. It's quick because there's only three things. Cool. All right, so December 2011, there was a novel set in the Mirror Universe called Rise Like Lions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is the continuing the adventures of Smiley O'Brien on the Mirror DS9. <laughs> Smiley. Right. So I, I haven't read this one. looks pretty good. Uh, the cover actually has evil Picard, you know, the mirror universe Picard on the cover, Ooh. and I'm just I'm flabbergasted because he doesn't have a goatee. So how do we know he's the mirror universe? <laughs> well, Kirk didn't have a goatee. Yeah, I'm I'm kidding. Yes. <laughs> All right, in January 2000, I, I, but I am curious if that mirror universe follows the same story that uh, Kirk's, you know, uh, not Kirk, uh, Shatner's books that dealt with the mirror universe oh. and, and that, and that continuity, uh, there's the Picard, the mirror Picard. So oh, I'm, really? if this is supposed to be a continuation of that, or if it's just completely different and, and ignores Shatner's stuff, right. which a lot of stuff does. All right. January, 2012, uh, another original series novel, uh, or actually this is the first of the original series novels, but this one's called The Rings of Time by Greg Cox. Uh, Greg Cox wrote the uh, Noonien uh eugenic war books and stuff like oh, that. Good. I think you read those. I like those. Yeah, so in this one, uh original series version of Kirk uh, is switched with an astronaut from uh, the year 2020 uh, when Kirk finds a probe and, and this guy in 2020 finds this probe and somehow it switches their bodies. Wow. Uh, so it's kind of interesting with the astronaut in the future and then Kirk stuck in the past. Huh. Might be worth a read. Yeah. And then February 2012, uh, an original series novel called That Which Divides by Dayton Ward. And uh, it, this looks like it's just kind of the me- run of the meal type book where the Kirk must fight with some romulans to try to rescue a downed science vessel. So I I haven't heard anything about that one so I don't know that much about it, but just came out. So hasn't had a lot of buzz since since it just came out a couple of weeks ago. Right. How could you know? Exactly. So that's it for Expanded Universe. So next week we will get back together and we're going to be back in the 90s, right? So we're going to be doing um the annuals so uh, episode 75 we're going to do Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation annuals number 2 good excellent looking forward to them hopefully hopefully everybody enjoyed this and we'll be touching base back with the ongoing or 789 in episode 84 so just a few months
1: looking forward to those yeah new stories
0: I'm liking this (laughs) yes alright so take care
1: everybody Bye everybody. Thanks for joining us on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios, Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at start comic book review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website